All right, fan pregame Wednesday night. Sportsnet at Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ailish and Justin. Still no Shohei signings, but don't worry. We got lots going on so far. Plan for the next 90 minutes with you inching closer. We got former MLB exec David Sampson, who's going to join us in moments. Frank Saravalli will come on around 6.30. Leafs put John Klingberg on LTIR today, opening up lots of cap space, and they can start shopping where we'll ask Frank. Raptors hosting the Heat tonight, the return of Kyle Lowry. We got some great audio clips from him from Scotiabank Arena. We'll play that around 7 o'clock with Smith and Jones courtside to help tee it up. But lead story is the Yankees on the cusp of landing Juan Soto from the Padres, uh, someone that obviously the Blue Jays had high hopes in acquiring. Maybe it was plan B. It was still a plan, we believe. Uh, So lots of pressure on getting Shohei Otani at this moment. We'll give you all that and more, but let's not keep David waiting too long here. Uh, From the Nothing Personal Pod, former MLB exec, David, appreciate you jumping on. It is busy times in the MLB world. Uh, How are you holding on? Oh, I'm doing great. (laughs) I'm not running a team anymore. 18 (laughs) years of winter meetings was just about enough. Okay, so what are winter meetings like? Because all we know is refreshing Twitter and refreshing Twitter. Um, I know you've been in the chairs, you've been in the meetings. Uh, Is it as chaotic as it seems? Or are we getting a special look at it this time with Shohei being the big guy on the market? It's actually mostly sitting around. You go into your hotel suite, there's a lot of snacks, and you plan some meetings with other teams and you strategize who's going to go to which suite. Will they come to you? Will you go to them? It's almost like a high school prom. <laughs> but frankly, since text messaging and FaceTime, the purpose of the winter meetings has sort of gone away on the major league side. And people get disappointed that not a lot happens. But at the end of the day, there's no deadlines. There's no reason for a deal to get done at the winter meetings other than the media wants it and the fans want it. So I was always in favor of if you want action right now, then put a deadline, make all free agents and all trades have to be done by the last day of the winter meetings or else you can't do it until spring training. That would definitely get things going, but the union would never go for that. Yeah, that sort of dissatisfaction with uh, how things are going and what the action is like at winter meetings seems to be something that has emerged today and especially uh, surrounding Shohei Otani, a couple big media members writing about the fact that, you know, Shohei might not be doing right by baseball with the secrecy and uh, not making this more of a circus, I suppose. Do you agree with that at all? Should Shohei be showing his cards during this process or should Shohei just do what Shohei wants to do? Shohei can do whatever Shohei wants to do. When you are in a position, it's like supply demand. If you have more than one team who wants you, you get the right to leverage. Or if you're Scott Boris' client, you can make up the teams want you. You can do that too. But either way, you don't owe it to anybody to do something before you want to do it. Shohei's not going to make a decision. I knew he was never going to get signed at the winter meetings. He doesn't want to schlep to Nashville to do a (laughs) press conference down in the big room. It was never going to be that way. And when a team signs Shohei Otani, they want him in their home city. They don't want to announce it in Nashville because they want to take advantage of signing him to help with sales and help with appearances, et cetera. So I was on nothing personal explaining to people Stop thinking he's going to sign right now. He's not. Okay, good. Uh, we're, we're prepared. We have our, our plan if he does sign, but 
we can keep you longer then uh, if he doesn't. So Dave Roberts, uh, interesting discussion if we're talking about like the secrecy and Shohei obviously being the main discussion the last couple of days. The idea that he would actually cost the Dodgers an opportunity to sign Shohei. I see you shaking your head. It is, it's funny to think that that world would exist, but it seems to you that that's not at all the case. It's so preposterous. <laughs> There's so many things that people think. It's when you don't know what really happens inside a room. You sort of imagine what it may happen, and it turns out your imagination's always wrong. The reality is always less interesting. So that's why there aren't many good films about just watching people. I mean, maybe the Kardashians is an example where you just watch people. But for me, in the winter meetings or when you're negotiating with an agent or with a player, there's a lot of back and forth. The meetings that take place like in Dunedin or when you come to visit a stadium, it really is about years and dollars Shohei's not going to be a Blue Jay because he loves Dunedin, and he's not going to be a Blue Jay if he doesn't like Dunedin. It has nothing to do with it. It also doesn't matter the school system, the minor league system, all the things that some free agents say, none of that actually matters. It's years and dollars, and that's what you're waiting for, and that's what Shohei's waiting for, and he's earned that right. So is it as simple as that with the Toronto Blue Jays? Because, uh, you know, there's definitely money to spend uh, from Toronto Blue Jays' ownership. Have they done it historically? Uh, yeah, at times. Do they have one of the richest contracts ever uh, in baseball history? No, they don't. I mean, George Springer, I think, tops it at $150 million, uh recently. So maybe times are changing a little bit, or maybe Shohei's a special circumstance. But again, I think with this courtship, it doesn't seem like it's only money. So what could the Blue Jays offer him other than a contract? I think a couple teams would be willing to do that has him so interested. I know you're not, I mean, it's very secretive. So you're not exactly in the camp of Shohei knowing exactly what's going through his head, but the lure of Toronto for Shohei, what have you learned about those two connections? Well, when I was with the Expos, we used to talk a lot about uh, tax equalization. We would talk at that time a lot about currency equalization uh, back when the Canadian dollar was where it was versus where it is. There's a, when you're traveling back and forth to Toronto, it's such a great franchise. And I just want to take issue with one thing you said. Sure. The Blue Jays are really smart and they do spend money. Just because you don't waste money or spend at the top of the market doesn't mean you're not good at what you do or the teams aren't good. I would argue that signing Shohei Otani to $60 million a year for 10 years is a terrible contract. And the reason why I say that is he has zero chance to outperform his contract. And if you want to win consistently in Major League Baseball, you need players who outperform their contract. And in Shohei's case, it'll be impossible because you're paying him as though he's a frontline starter and a middle-of-the-rotation bat and right now, he's only one of those, not both. Okay, so the idea then uh, that he would pay for himself through the sponsorship and the rush of money, uh, the marketing, no. the impact of Japan, you're not buying into that whatsoever? I, I can promise you. I, I did it for 18 years. We, we signed Ichiro. Great example. We gave Ichiro several million dollars, and we got sponsorships from Japanese companies that otherwise we would not, we would not have gotten. Ichiro is maybe the favorite player I've ever had in 18 years. I have a personal relationship with him to this day. But if you're saying that there's a player that actually makes the money back that you pay them individually, it doesn't exist. Maybe there's one player. I just can't think of who that would be. 
What you want in Toronto, you want to win a ring. You want to be in the World Series. And if you're tying up too much of your payroll for one player, you can't win. So if you give Shohei 60 and your payroll is $300 million, that's still giving him roughly, if my math is right, just call it 20% of your payroll. That is the maximum you should give one player. Do the Blue Jays have or will they have a $300 million payroll? No, and they shouldn't. That's why when you're only doing hitting or pitching, that number, $60 million, is simply too high. Please give credit to your front office. They've spent money just because they don't have the ring yet doesn't mean that they're not good. Is there a team that this would make better sense for that isn't the Blue Jays that might have a better roster construction where it isn't just so much money for one player that he might be a better fit right now? At $60 million? No one. They're, they're, the math doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I can talk to you about, and I'm happy to, ticket prices and what gate revenue is, and then you look at incremental. Let's say Shohei Otani brings in, do you think that 5,000 more people 5,000 more people will actually go to the games because Shohei's on your team. Do you, Let's start with that. Do you think that's a reasonable number? I would say that's a reasonable number. I think it would be the event of the night for 81 nights in Toronto if Shohei Otani was a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. Plus yeah. a nice new ballpark. I'm going to say that might give which, a couple of tickets for, as well. Which yeah. costs money as well. Mm-hmm. So let's just say 5,000 only because of Shohei. Okay. That's 400,000 more people during the course of a season. The general math, let's say that it's six or seven million dollars net per 100,000 people. And that's net of revenue sharing. That's net of taxes. I mean, that's net. And I'm giving you math of actually running a team. There's the math. Let's even say it's $10 million per 100,000 people. So if you draw 500,000 more people, that's $50 million. And that's a huge, I've never heard of a player who draws 5,000 more people for 80 games. There, there, there is none, even Barry Bonds. That number is so high. What does bring in people? Winning. Mm-hmm. Deep drives into October gives you people and revenue. That's what you're really hoping to do. So that's why you need to build a team. And we've learned in baseball, one player, and by the way, that player's Otani. What did the Angels do with Otani and Trout? zero playoff appearances. Two of the five best players, maybe, because you need a team around them. So you got to be careful how you allocate your resources. Okay, so you you said that, you know, twice, I believe you said that the Blue Jays management, they're smart people, and yet they are aggressively pursuing Shohei Otani. So how do you explain that disconnect? So I worry. I worry that what I did is maybe what they're doing. And what I did back in 2012, and I did it many other times, is I felt such pressure to sign players, to trade for players because fans were anxious. The media was anxious. We got to do something. We got to show everybody, and no pun intended, that we are in it to win it. We don't want people questioning whether or not we're trying. And sometimes that can cloud your judgment. So I will see what the final contract is. But I've been asked, and I said on my show, what I would do for Shohei. And if you are a top-line pitcher and a top-line hitter, I can give you 60 because then you're really two players on my team, not one. So I would do a very highly incentivized deal. I would pay him $30 million to be a hitter right now. And then when he pitches, I'd even give him $2 million a start because that's how worried I am. 
It's not easy coming back from two Tommy Johns. It's not a guarantee that you're going to be the top of the rotation guy that you were. He may be. He's done things that are incredible. But you better protect yourself in case he's not. So uh, before we had you on, we saw pretty much a guarantee at this point or right in the end uh, of the uh, push here that Juan Soto will become a New York Yankee, uh, someone that the Blue Jays were obviously very interested in, a very different situation than Shohei Otani. This was going to cost a lot of players and draft prospect instead of just cash. Uh, what do you make of Juan Soto joining the Yankees when this is all finalized and the package that went out the door for him? Listen, desperation is quite a cologne. <laughs> And that is the cologne that everyone in the Yankees front office is wearing right now. Juan Soto for a year plus $30 million in return for, let's say the package is what we're seeing where it's four Mm -hmm. pitchers and a catcher, maybe the starting catcher. You're getting two arms who are major league ready, sort of mid top of the rotation to really sort of mid bottom of the rotation. You're giving up significant player capital and you're giving up $30 million But what you're getting is a year and only a year because you're not going to get an extension out of him. You're not even going to get permission to negotiate the extension. So you're getting a year. But if you're the Yankees, that's what you do because Hal Steinbrenner, there's no more patience. They haven't won anything since 2009, and they spend obviously tremendous amounts of dollars. He's a perfect player for the Yankees lineup. It's a one-year flyer. The interesting part will be once the years passed, do they resign him? And if so, at what number? Because he could be in the four to five hundred million dollar range. So you're not going to take Otani and Yamamoto and Soto along with Judge. You still have Stanton. So at some point, even the Yankees can't do everything. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. So we've been talking for the last, I guess, week and change about plan A being Shohei for the Toronto Blue Jays, plan B being Juan Soto. Plan B seems like it's off the table here. Uh, would Soto have been a better name to chase for the Blue Jays? I know this is now in the rearview mirror, rear view mirror excuse right. me, compared to Shohei. Would you have rather seen them, or would have it made more sense for the Blue Jays to chase Soto over Shohei? So neither, and let me tell you why. When you are a good front office, I don't need a GM to tell me, hey, trade for Juan Soto. He's really good. Hey, let's sign Shohei Otani. He's really good. Anyone can do that. My son, who's amazing, but he could do that (laughs) as a GM. Where you want a GM to help you as a team president or owner is I want the comeback player of the year on my team. And I want someone who I pay $10 million to to start for me, who's going to give me 175 innings, 13 wins, and a three and a half ERA. I want a position player where the owner and the fans are annoyed because they don't know him, but he's going to come in and hit me 25 home runs and play in 150 games. That's where the front office really distinguishes itself. So when I'm looking at the Blue Jays offseason, or any team for that matter, I'm not judging anything until February when I look at what the rosters are, because it's the the under-the-radar signings. And if you look at the Blue Jays and what they've done, they've done some under-the-radar ones that work. Some of them don't. They've done over-the-radar signings. Some of them have worked. Some of them haven't, like every other team. But Mm -hmm. the value added, if you are Mark Shapiro, is that you are getting players that you're going to call a plan C that I, as a president, would call a plan A. We're chatting with David Sams, nothing personal pod and former MLB exec. Um, Okay, so... Let's say no Shohei. 
Doesn't sound like we're going to get Soto here in Toronto. Or do you have any names or anyone that, you know, you would circle for filling those voids that you mentioned? Someone under the radar, someone that fans might be like, I don't know who that is, but they're going to be the comeback player or they're going to prove themselves as a Toronto Blue Jay. Someone we can put on our so wish list. <laughs> when you're when you're asking voids, what is the void that you that the front office perceives the Blue Jays have? What is the going concern both from the media standpoint or more importantly from the team standpoint. A professional at bat. Cleanup hitter, third baseman, because they're going to lose Matt Chapman. I mean, there are a lot of holes for the Blue Jays. Uh, so uh, you could pretty much go anywhere in terms of comeback player of the year candidates. So assigning like a J.D. Martinez as an example of a player who can come in. He's a veteran presence. He's someone who's terrific in the clubhouse where I want to make sure that my young kids who are now getting older, I'm talking about Vlad, someone who can sort of, be a father figure and give you production. A Justin Turner type player who can come in and be that sort of presence. What I love about the Blue Jays team is their core. I actually love their pitching staff, love their mm-hmm. core. And I wonder that bringing in someone in, I would say the 10 to $15 million range one year, maybe go 30 million for two years. That's the type of thing that I would think would make sense for the Blue Jays. And the downside is this whole segment that we're doing because the fan base is so revved up mm-hmm. over Shohei and over Soto. And now your view is going to be, man, we stink. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't get these guys. So is it better to have loved and lost or never mm-hmm. to have loved at all? Uh, I've done both <laughs> on the baseball side. Yeah. And I can tell you uh, there are most times that it's better not to have loved. Okay, last one for you, David. Do you have a prediction for Shohei? Where is he going to end up? I've said for the last year that he ends up back with the Angels. I think Mm -hmm. that that's not getting enough attention. Mm -hmm. I think that Artie Moreno will match whatever offer is out there on the table. I don't think he wants to lose Shohei. I think that Shohei realizes that going to another team does not guarantee you a ring. Look at people who go to the Yankees and don't get a ring. My friend Giancarlo Stanton hasn't gotten a ring yet at the Yankees when he thought he would. It's very hard to get that. And don't discount the comfort that he feels in Los Angeles. I don't think that he would ever go to the Dodgers because of what that would mean he'd be doing to the Angels. It would be like going from the Yankees to the Mets, and I just don't think that that's going to happen. But it looks like it's down. People are saying it's just the Dodgers or just the Blue Jays. We're going to see what happens, but I'm not changing my vote. Maybe on an island, but I've said he resigns with the Angels. I have one more for you um, before we let you go. Yankees and Red Sox trade last night. Very rare uh, that two rivals do something like that. Were you surprised that's something we'd see more often? Well, now that they play a little bit less uh, head-to-head in the division, Alex Verdugo and pinstripes is scary, uh, to say the least. (laughs) That used to be a thing Mm -hmm. back when my career started that we did not want to make trades within our division. And the reason that we didn't is not that we played them 18 or 19 times. The reason is we didn't want to be embarrassed by being wrong with the trade Mm -hmm. and doing something to help a division foe where not only did we help them, we hurt us, and we have to see it 18 times. And by them being good for someone else, they actually hurt us in myriad ways. And that used to be a thing. And we got away from that when we realized there's only a community of 29 that you can ever trade with. And if you eliminate four teams or three teams, that's 10% of your entire industry. Mm -hmm. So I think teams don't pay attention to that the way they did. And the Yankees and Red Sox, that's really a thing of the past Mm -hmm. in terms of not wanting to make the trades, just like Yankees and Mets, frankly, for that matter. 
So I was not surprised. I thought that was a very interesting deal, actually, for both sides. Uh, definitely agree. Um, I think a lot of listeners may be humbled by some of the Otani, oh, uh, I guess, just like perspective, because we're we're in this bubble where we're so, as you said, so excited, so eager for this to happen. But it's great to learn about maybe the pros and cons of it happening. So we appreciate your time today, David. Uh, it's going to be an exciting couple weeks, maybe not a couple days uh, as we wait here for Shohei to make his decision. Uh, we'll definitely get you on down the road. Appreciate your time. Take care. Thank you. That's David Sampson, Nothing Personal Pod, a former MLB exec, of course. Um, we take a deep breath after that one. Yeah, it's definitely definitely an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think, though, that just because the Angels didn't win with Shohei doesn't preclude anyone else from winning with Shohei Otani. And I know it's a lot of money, and uh, I know you're going to have mm-hmm. to be really smart and intelligent with what you're doing with the rest of the money. But you can do that. You can be cost-effective and still splurge. And I think any team that's going to get Shohei has to splurge. And it's just what you're doing with everybody else who fills out the roster. I mean, there's certainly risk to it. And I think we're all aware of that. Like, not being able to pitch this upcoming season, having to go through Tommy John or or maybe once, twice. You know, every pitcher is going to have to rehab in a specific way. But the allure of something so special, something so different, once in a generation once in a century type talent is what gets the fan base so excited, understandably so. Like this isn't something, you know, this isn't Cody Bellinger. No offense to Cody Bellinger. This is a guy that is going to take his talents once to the free agent market. Maybe this is his last opportunity, a big decision for him. He's taking his time. It's frustrating a lot of, I guess, media members because they want action. I think he, I respect him taking his time to make the decision. But the longer we wait, the more we hear other perspectives too, right? Like David's. Um, we talked about, quickly we talked about Juan Soto going to the Yankees will most likely just pending some physicals here. Uh, quite the package. And I know that the Blue Jays were discussed in this lead up. I don't think they could have matched what the Yankees no. will be giving up for Juan Soto. It is still risky, as David said. I mean, his he can t- walk right into free agency, which he probably w- will because he's Scott Boris' client. So, both are risks, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. Just for the Blue Jays and Soto, I mean, it was plan B. We talked mm-hmm. about this. And it was a plan B, though, that could have easily been a plan A. I mean, if we talk, if Shohei Otani was just still under contract with the Angels oh, yeah. and we came into this offseason talking about Juan Soto, Soto. there would be an immense amount of excitement over the possibility that, that might happen. But I, do, I did worry about them chasing Soto because partly it would be reactionary and partly it would be... Because I don't know if they're just a Soto away. And if they got Soto, it meant absolutely laying fire to your prospect system. Mm -hmm. So it would put so much pressure on winning with the one season Soto's around. And then maybe you're looking at a really uncertain future. And that's why I'm not necessarily like really disappointed with this. Because the Shohei thing has all the disappointment. But even if they lost out on Shohei and then lost out on Soto, I just feel like there's so much more risk, which is funny after having that conversation with David Sampson, there was so much more risk of things going completely haywire if they landed Soto, it didn't work out, and I don't know where the direction of the Blue Jays would have been after that. Okay, um, we'll take a little break after uh, and talk a little bit of hockey, unless something crazy happens, but my Bet Rivers pick is Shohei-related. So time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, once again, wearing a shirt or a Blue Jays-related piece of... The recruitment pitch continues. It says, home is Toronto. And I hope Shohei sees this with the still, Blue Jays do you, logo. Do you still hope that after I that? I do. I do hope so. Thank <laughs> I you. I do too. 
Shohei Otani to sign with any other team, which includes the Blue Jays, is plus 300 on Bet Rivers. Uh, so there's listed teams. Since the Blue Jays are not listed, they qualify as any other team. You can get plus 300 for Shohei Otani to become a Blue Jay. The Angels, just for reference, are plus 650, uh, David Sampson's pick, plus 650 to go back to the Angels. Uh, Raptors and Heat tonight. Raptors are at home. Uh, Raptors and Heat, you know, it, it seems very coin flip, especially with Bam mm-hmm. Adebayo, uh, it, just in general. Bam Adebayo is out tonight for the Heat, though, but laying plus 140 on the Heat against the wow. Raptors, I don't know. I think it's a coin flip That's game. I'll, I'll so take the plus money. Miami Heat plus 145 Miss Toronto, right Justin. On that side of the table, it is. <laughs> okay. That was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. We're going to hear some great audio from Kyle Lowry around 7 o'clock as we tee up tonight's game. That'll be on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. But in the next half hour, we're going to chat with Frank Saravalli because the Blue, uh, the Blue Jays, well, the Blue Jays have some money, but the Toronto Maple Leafs have some cap space now with John Klingberg on LTIR. What are they going to do with it? We'll chat with Frank next. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Pregame Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We've got about another hour here. We'll go to Sportsnet 590, The Fan, for the last 30 minutes to tee up tonight's Raptors game. The Heat in town to face your Raptors, a familiar face in Kyle Lowry. He's having a pretty decent season. Uh, he's coming back. Lots of media attention, as always, with him. Got a couple of nice quotes to play around 7 o'clock when we talk to F- Smith & Jones from Scotiabank Arena. Uh, but we'll shift to a little bit of hockey with Frank Saravelli of Daily Faceoff, of course. Frank, you're an insider. Where's Shohei signing? You ready to break that news for us today? Man, I wish it was the Phillies. My only concern with Shohei, no matter where he goes, whether it's the Jays, Dodgers, whoever it might be, will he pitch again? And if he's not, I, I know everyone's saying, oh, it's totally <laughs> worth it no matter what. Yeah, Is he worth the extra premium that you'd pay over any other typical big-name free agent? We just had this very similar discussion uh, with our last guest, and mm. it was a bit humbling maybe. Uh it's but been a big propaganda believe. week, and we're then we, believe. you know, a little negativity. But we're 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 okay. We're still gonna be excited about Shohei Otani if he lands in Toronto, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. We will totally understandable yes. generational talent. That's it. That's it. One uh, of a kind. Yeah, and we can live in the moment of the one of the kind uh, talents coming to maybe pick our beautiful city. Okay, um, from one to another. Let's talk John Klingberg. John Klingberg, another one of a kind talent. Uh, unfortunately, will be out for the rest of the season uh, as he goes through a hip surgery. But that allows the Maple Leafs to maybe have a little bit of spending room. Um, what is the sense of urgency with them to get something done with that cap space? Yeah, I think it really helps to finally have some clarity there, knowing for certain that John Klingberg is going to be out. They had a pretty good sense, and and right from sort of Jump Street when they decided that he was going to go on LTIR, I believe he had told his teammates that that was the plan, was likely to be out for the rest of the season. And you mentioned one of a kind. This really kind of is one of a kind for the Leafs in that typically when you make a decision to sign a player like John Klingberg, and the play does not translate to get a jail, get out of jail free card at this point, this juncture in the season, it almost never happens. So Brad true living and company have a sort of blank slate here to go out and spend that 4.15 million bucks, which 
like I said, it, it's an unbelievable feeling. It must be for them. And I think there is real urgency there, I think, at some point to get something done. But they're not looking at one piece to bring in for that $4.15 million necessarily. I think they look at it as an opportunity if they spend wisely, have teams retain on money, that they can add potentially two pieces to beef up this blue line that I think really needs the help to get over the hump and and to really be in that conversation as an authentic Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, certainly for Treliving, it's a it's a bullet dodged. I mean, if that's his first move, spending that $4 million, I'll say recklessly. Like, I kind of refuse to believe it was that reckless that Brad Treliving really had, like, no idea that this may have existed, that he didn't have a hip issue. I'm not really sure, but it's just hard to believe that that would be the first move without any idea because it seemed like such a major gamble. Uh, but they do get the clarity they need to move on and move forward here. I'm not sure if this like sets it up to for a patient approach or it puts some immediacy behind it, but you're right. They want to do two birds, one stone here and really change the complexion of the blue line. Do you think it sets up to do something sooner or is it gives them the runway they need to kind of take their time and make sure that they do the best thing they can do possibly before the deadline? Why not try and do both? Doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it at the same time. That's the really nice part about Mm -hmm. this is you can go get a piece now that'll help you in the immediate, you know, timeframe when you're trying to avoid using call-ups and depth pieces as much as possible, but then also save a little bit of cap space so that you can attack whatever might come available come February or March as we get closer to the deadline. That's one thing about right now early december before the roster freeze there's still so many teams that are in the mix that they're not really in a posture to be trading at this exact moment in time and so there are some teams that are in that mix we we know the calgary flames and the decision with nikita zadaroff to trade him to vancouver and we know the link that was there with toronto having interest in both zadaroff and tanev I still think the Leafs are very much interested in Tanev on a singular basis to try and bring him home to Toronto. But moving forward, there may be other pieces that shake free that A, you don't know about, or B, another roster need might pop up between now and then that you say, okay, we've found a way to improve our defense. Where else might we need a boost? And you never really know where that is. You don't want to spend it all in one place, so to speak. Yeah, the uh, flames being the feeding ground or feasting ground was kind of the discussion we've had over the last couple of weeks. But it seems like I'm seeing more and more defensemen's name. I mean, Tyson Berry was one of them. But even the Philip Broberg situation, I know you reported on that as well about maybe being available, maybe not being available. Sean Walker, uh, who used to be a teammate of mine. So I'm interested in uh, your thoughts on that as well. Uh, but it seems like more and more defensemen's names are floating around and maybe we just can stop like focusing so much on the Calgary Flames. Is that your sense as well? Well, yeah, because I think part of the thing with Calgary is I I truly believe they made the move with Zadarov to quiet the noise. He made that trade request coming out of the game in Toronto. It leaked publicly. They found out about it on social media. Michael Backlund held a team meeting to essentially say, hey, look, if you've got a problem here, you want out, go go to management directly. Let's try and settle in here. We're playing some of our best hockey of the season. No need to create drama and a circus around our team when there was already so much noise heading into the season based on the way the summer played out and guys not signing extensions. So they weren't happy about that. And that's the big reason why they decided to pull the trigger, I believe, 
sooner rather than later. They didn't want to let it fester. But in the meantime, with how mushy the West has been and soft in terms of inability to make uh, headway in the standings, climb above teams like St. Louis and Seattle and Nashville, Arizona, you see with their hot play the last 10 days, they're now in a playoff spot and in the mix. The Calgary Flames have a wide open door to burst through it and say, this, we can be the team we thought we might be. Um, and so they're going to allow themselves some runway to get there. I still think ultimately they end up selling off. But your point is well made in that you've got the Flyers who have a pair of unrestricted free agent defensemen. I think you've got lots of teams that the further along this season goes, the more the standings begin to crystallize we'll have more options that open up and you don't want to pull the trigger now and spend all that cap space. And then all of a sudden be like, man, I wish we saved some of it. Uh, It looked like a headline from 2003, but it is 2023 and the senators are adding Jacques Martin uh, to the coaching staff in a advisory role. Uh, Why? Like we, you talked about how DJ Smith was safe and there was no issue there. And I guess this is more evidence to support that. But why do you think the senators felt the need to bring in a veteran voice? Well, I think they wanted someone else that DJ Smith can bounce things off of. There's only one man on the planet that's coached more Ottawa Senators games than DJ Smith, and that's Jacques Martin. DJ Smith is second all-time in team history in terms of games behind the bench, and it's a significant number. I think a lot of people hear that stat and say, hey, there's some runway here that he's been provided after five years behind the bench how come there isn't more progress? How come there isn't more to point to? And and I think that's a fair argument to make. But at the same time, they're looking for more stability. Jacques Martin is 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 a guy that is certainly a calming influence and presence. He's been around, seen a lot of different things. Uh, He did some great work not too long ago with the Pittsburgh Penguins during their cup runs. Um, So he's seen and done a lot. And that's just one more voice that they wanted to add to the mix to say, we think we have some solutions in-house and maybe they just need a push forward to get there. Interesting talking to Michael Anlauer at the Board of Governors meeting in Seattle earlier this week where he was essentially saying, hey, fans, I hear you. I understand the angst. I'm a big fan myself. He goes, I don't even like people talking to me during games. I get that intense as an owner, which I love to hear. But at the same time, Everyone recognizes that this team needs to make progress. And with all those games in hand they have in the Atlantic, they got to take a step forward. Yeah, I'm going to ask you uh, a little bit about some of the tidbits that came out of the Seattle uh, meetings. But one last one here, at least for me, on kind of current events. So Sabres adding Eric Robinson. I mean, it's not a blockbuster, but I guess my question is kind of on Columbus as well. I know you uh, quote tweeted a great tweet um, about the lack of i guess development that some of the younger guys are getting in columbus lack of playing time it's the lunacy yeah the lunacy it's a great way to put it um it seems like it's just becoming a little bit of a lost cause over there uh now they're trading people but i mean that's not really the point uh how can they can they even kind of right the ship and make sure guys like adam Vantilli are getting opportunities to play it, the whole thing's baffling to me i think they need a wholesale front office change they got to make they got a clean house that's the way i look at it because you put all your eggs in one basket in terms of trying to be competitive this season earning a playoff spot or at least competing for the playoffs that ship has sailed on this year just look at the math look at the way this team has played 
Look at the exasperation on the face of Pascal Vincent most nights. I'm not even entirely convinced that Patrick Laine likes hockey watching this team play this year. And yet you have these prized possessions, these draft picks that you've done such a great job drafting and such a poor job developing. And I'm talking about David Juracek and Cole Sillinger. And now you add in Fantilli and Kent Johnson to the mix. These guys are really good players that have a lot of talent and a lot to provide. And yet when it comes to, I'll just give you an example with David Juracek, a sixth overall pick who is already better than four or five of their defensemen. You're playing Boakvist and peak last night, 23 and 25 minutes a night. Like help me make sense of where the Columbus blue jackets are at, where they're heading. What's their coherent plan? Cause I don't understand it. I don't see it. And the point I think to make going back to September was Yarmo Kekalainen is the third longest tenured GM in the league. He's won exactly one playoff series as GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Why are they in a spot where there's bullets flying everywhere and none of them are hitting him? I, I truly do not understand it. And when you put so much pressure on getting a coach hiring right and it went as wrong as Mike Babcock did, didn't even make it to the first game behind the bench or training camp, Yarmo Kekalainen should have followed him right out the door then. Feels like he's a dead man walking now, but he might as well try and start to clean it up at this point because you're going to begin to lose the rest of the young guys that you have in the fold. What about John Davidson, Frank? Like, I, I haven't been, like, hot on the John Davidson beat for the last uh, couple <laughs> years, but, like, this is a immensely respected hockey individual who's had a lot of success. Uh, I, I, how is he not seeing what you're seeing? I mean, again, shrapnel flying everywhere seems to be wearing a, a vest that just not hitting him. Mm. I didn't see him at the NHL board of governors meeting this week in Seattle. Yarmo Kekalainen was there among the blue jackets contingent. And all I could think was at a meeting that really doesn't, like, there are some GMs that go a very small handful, but I couldn't help but thinking that it was like watching, uh, you know, Nero as Rome is burning. Like why, why is he learning about chat GPT at the board of governors meeting when he could be, you know, actually doing things <laughs> with the blue jackets. Uh, time will tell uh, if they can turn things around. I don't think it's going to happen with Yermo Kekalainen. Uh, I rolled my eyes pretty hard when I heard Gary Bettman uh, openly express his concerns about the rink in Milan in 2026. Were your mm. eyes rolling as well, Frank? Well, my eyebrow was certainly raised. I don't know if eyes were rolling. And I think it's part just of another it is, excuse. So that's that's kind of where I was getting at. Yeah, if you squint hard enough, I mean, you can see that the NHL has opened the door for um, as a reason to pull the plug when it comes to the 2026 Olympics. For once, it's not us. Hey, it's it's Milan. They can't get their act together. <laughs> mm. Those Italian construction workers. And by the way, I can say that. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the arena, like I, I think both these things can be true at the same time. I think it can be a legitimate concern that the arena had. There's no shovels in the ground yet. And I think it can also be true that the NHL is potentially messaging or massaging the message ahead of time to open the door for uh, no NHL player participation. So I, I think it, there is reason to be concerned, but at this point, so far off into the future and also not an NHL problem, perhaps the NHL would be better you know, spent focusing their energy and time on, you know, how about a new arena for the Coyotes? 
I think I heard you yesterday on the JD Bunkus podcast, and he asked about like your confidence level. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was yesterday um, in the NHL going to the Olympics, and you said you were confident that it would happen. Like you guaranteed it. Maybe well, I don't want to put those words in your mouth, but that it would happen. Well, because for once they're not haggling over the usual suspects, which are travel, insurance, accommodations for players and their families, like all those things for, for more or less have basically been agreed to and they're getting close to putting the finishing touches on an agreement. But now the NHL, we know they don't really have that much interest in going. They view it as a disruption to their season. They don't like that there's no financial impact to their bottom line. They don't like that the games are being played in a different time zone that makes it harder for North American fans to watch. But they understand that the players really want to go. And frankly, they've heard from fans that it's time for true best-on-best competition. The fact that Connor McDavid will be 28 years old before he puts on a Team Canada jersey for the first time in true best-on-best competition is bonkers. It's insane. And so they recognize that eventually they need to get to that point, but it almost feels like at times that you have to drag them there kicking and screaming, even though it's probably the best for the game. It'll be 12 years. It'll be 12 years. And Connor McDavid again, maybe in the second half of his career, uh, it's got to happen in 2026. If there's actually a sheet of ice that they're going to compete on and call it an Olympic competition, I just don't see why the <laughs> NHL could use that as an excuse. But uh, yeah, they I, might I don't try care if they're playing it on exactly. in Milan or on Mars. Like, mm-hmm. you'd, you go there's, there. There's a rink in Italy. Just play somewhere it, in Italy. <laughs> You could play in, in Torino if you needed to, yeah. two hours down the road. You could play one hour up the road in Lugano, Switzerland. There's tons of options. But then, of course, the NHL was floating out the idea yesterday. Well, oh, man, what if NHL players aren't getting the true Olympic experience? Would they still want to go? My answer is yes. <laughs> you could put them in a dark cave and in jail cells after the game until their next one. And they'd still be hungry to go because they want to compete against the very best in the world and represent their country. And oh, by the way, we just saw the Hughes brothers all go head to head last night mm-hmm. in Vancouver. Team USA looking good. Yeah, honestly, I think. Didn't they play in the GTHL? I know, but I do really think that uh, the best of best won't be looking too great for us. But we have some time to, you know, bolster our rosters. Um, Best play in the world. uh, That's true. But, you know, it's like you get Shohei. You need the rest of the team to be up to standard. Okay, Uh, Frank, one thing that the NHL did confirm is we're going to the sphere, baby. Uh, Next year, this summer, NHL draft, the last ever, like going out with a bang. They just, it's kind of weird to me. It's, you're going to have the best, the most fun, and then you're just going to end it. I, I'm hoping to go. So I'm everyone's you know. changing their vote. After I would this. like I to guarantee be, it. I would like to be at the sphere, uh, but how excited are you for that? And are they going to change the vote afterwards? Isn't that the perfect way to go out? Mm-hmm. I mean, you do it a one once in a lifetime type <laughs> event. The first professional sports league to have an event inside the sphere. Cool. Uh, you see the images to, to think about the different possibilities and to also think about what the NHL is going to put into this, not just from a financial perspective, vastly, you know, the cost being so much significantly more than a typical NHL draft. And it's not necessarily for the facility rental. It's to program those amazing screens that you see and the experience that people would have in the building. I mean, I can't wait. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated to see what it looks like. And, I'd also like to just kind of sit there and veg out instead of work, but <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's an option. I mean, we had some fun in Nashville, and I would, I've would i never been to Vegas, so I'm hoping that that's 
an opportunity down You're the road. You're openly campaigning. Well, I would just say, my one of my best friends just came back two days ago from Vegas. She saw you two there, and it looked unbelievable. I just, I'm picturing, that, like, the little faces of the draftees floating around the sphere. <laughs> the, the whole week, Vegas, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. It was, it was 118 for the Stanley Cup final five years ago. Boy. Everything happening, all this news breaking, it's like it's legitimate nightmare fuel for me. But uh, whatever. I, I, I got to be honest. Like the, the sphere obviously is amazing. And it's, it's, intent, it's intended, excuse me, to put something incredibly visual on display to, uh, you know, enhance that visual. But like we're talking about like draft families and prospects. Like is that, how are they going to make... The sphere actually, like, do we need a like 360 logos. view of Connor Bedard Still, yes. standing up and going to a stage? Like, I don't really, I don't know if the stage, I, like, give me one of those pool party or whatever with the, with the, mm. the, with the big screens on it. Like, that makes more sense to me than the sphere. Sphere is So what concert. they're actually going to be able to do in between now and pulling this off in June, now that they have, or close to it, having agreement in place, they can go send film crews to see so cool. Macklin Celebrini play at BU and capture unique, specific content with whatever cameras they use, 4K, 8K, whatever okay. it might be, and then be able to have essentially like Macklin Celebrini coming at you on a rush so in that cool. building. Okay, okay. That's what I needed to, to build hear. out. That's what I needed to and hear. And so it gets, it, you can kind of, if you allow your brain to get there, you can begin to imagine it. Oh, my God. That's pretty cool. I, I was worried. Like, you know, the NHL draft is really fun, but it's not less. It's not something that's, like, made for high definition, if that makes any well, sense. But if they're doing the that, game. then, yeah, I'm not sure why they're just doing it once. I'll put it that way. Okay, last one for you. Um, in-season tournament has been an absolute blast in the NBA. We cannot get enough of it. I know it's a, at least something that we've been asking, if people are asking about, uh, is that anything the NHL is putting on their radar or do they just don't want to be like second to something that's so successful in year one? Well, that's definitely part of it is that the fact that the NBA did this first, the NHL certainly doesn't want to make it seem like they're following. Gary Bettman's response to that <laughs> in Seattle this week was, well, we're going to have an in-season tournament next year. It's going to be this sort of international competition entree with the U.S., Canada, Sweden, and Finland playing a four-team tournament in the middle of the year. <laughs> Not quite the same. And I had asked the question back when we were in Sweden a few weeks ago for the Global Series saying, what a way to break up the season. Like, 82 games can be monotonous. Don't you think this would spice it up? And he said, point blank, our game doesn't need any spicing. Mm. Okay. Mm. You no asked. I, I I asked. Gave you the answer. Yeah, it's disappointing. Uh, one more big note from uh, the the, uh, the meetings in Seattle was the salary cap, which is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're finally on on the up and up. It's been a little bit of a negative about the NHL for the last couple questions and answers here, but the fact that we're finally trending in the right direction is a good thing. I know you think the Toronto Maple Leafs benefit greatly from the salary cap rising up. I mean, I don't think that's breaking news. But if you had to pinpoint one more team that is going to benefit next year because the salary cap will rise $4.2 million, who you got? Some would say Edmonton because they're in a spot where they could probably continue to add to their team. But I would argue that they already spent their salary cap increase with Connor Brown's bonus money likely to hit their cap mm -hmm. next season as part of an overage. I can't help but think about a team. I'll keep it in Canada. 
like Vancouver, which has been incredibly aggressive so far this season, they've changed out four of, or four of their six defensemen in the last nine months. I mean, you, you hand that team $4.2 million in an increase at a time when you also have a couple contracts come off the books. Look out. The Canucks have made five out of the last eight trades in the NHL. I like what they're doing. Yeah, last night the Hughes Bowl uh, was really fun. I had a parlay of all three of them scoring. Quinn let me down, but it was a fun one nonetheless. It was, a, I'm sure, a proud moment for those parents. Like three kids that are that good at hockey, poof, one can dream. Um, all right, Frank, well, we appreciate your updates as always. Uh, we'll definitely chat with you next week. And uh, get working on the show, hey, bus for us, please. We want to hear from Yeah, you. I mean, I'll see, I'll see what I can Make do. a couple calls. You might yeah, be able to you have figure something out. people all over the world, Frank. I'm sure you could figure something out for us. All right. See you guys. Bye. Frank uh daily face-off, of course. Uh, Is it Woj or Schefter that does the other occasionally? Like Schefter will have NBA news or Woj will have NFL news? That's definitely happened before. I thought it was... I No, I thought it was Shams that broke news. Shams might have outside too. of Imagine their if Frank. Realm. Imagine if Frank broke if the show. If he was like, news. hey guys, actually, you know, before we get into uh, Klingberg LTIR, I actually just want to let you know... Um, I don't even want to say it. I don't want to jinx it. No, don't do it. Never mind. Um, okay, yeah, last night, the Hughes Bowl, I was so close to hitting another crazy yeah, parlay. the Luke goal was the top The one. Luke goal happened. I'm like, it's happening. I got a bunch of people that tweeted at me, like, I hope you bet it. It's all right. I had a fun one for tonight. I hit mine, by the way, a little... Oh, uh good for you. Thank you. Red Wings, empty, empty netter. <laughs> oh, Red Wings by go. two, empty netter. Okay, speaking of the Red Wings, Patrick Kane expected to make his debut tomorrow. Uh, so we'll have lots to tee up tomorrow because that'll be a for sure anytime goal. <laughs> Patrick yeah, Kane. that'll be, uh, we'll have time to tee that one up. Mm-hmm. we got time to tee up a basketball game. We sure do. After the break. Smith and Jones are going to join us from courtside at Scotiabank Arena because Kyle Lowry is there, probably laughing it up with his former friends. But he's pretty intense. He might not be uh, laughing. We'll see after the game. Uh, Smith and Jones will join us next, and that'll be on Sportsnet 590 The Fan with the fan pregame.